You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. So we're looking at the book of Genesis, and um, we're looking specifically at chapters... 12 through 50 that cover the patriarchs, sometimes called the patriarchs. Patriarchs are Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we're looking at the life of uh, Jacob. This is the fourth one. This is the last one in the life of Jacob. And together, these four uh, people and their families, um, their wives and children, they basically were the tip of the spear of God bringing the kingdom to planet Earth uh, to rescue the world. And uh, we see in this passage tonight, essentially the transformation of this man, Jacob, who was a schemer, into Israel, who is the one who wrestles with God. Um, So this is the transformation of the central character, because Israel is the name of the people that were created out of this four people, out of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Israel is the name of the country. They're still there. Israel's still there. It's a miracle of God's providence that Israel is still a country today. And this is the reason that Israel has their name, is because of this story. And this man, Jacob, who was once a schemer named Jacob, a deceiver, the usurper, that's what Jacob literally means. And now, in this passage, he becomes the one who strives with God, Jacob, uh, Israel. And so this is, the, this is the transformation of the man who would transform the world. Uh, and indeed, Israel has transformed the world completely. Uh, we, are, we here are a testimony to the transformation that this man, Jacob, uh, brought about. So we meet him in this passage at this place called the Ford of the Jabbok, which I, I just love. I've always loved. The very first time when I became a Christian at the age of 21 and I read this passage, the Ford of the Jabbok, it just immediately created an image in my mind. He said the Ford, the Ford of a river is a place where you cross the river. So it's the Jabbok River near the Jordan River. It's the Ford, so it's in this narrow place, and the, maybe the water is rushing the fastest there. And at that ford of the Jabbok, uh, Jacob is just wrestling with uh, angst about uh, the terror he has because he's about to meet his brother, his estranged older brother. Some of you have been estranged from a family member, and I can almost guarantee you it's nothing like the estrangement that Jacob is feeling because his older brother wants to kill him. His older brother hates him for good reason because Jacob deceived him and tricked him twice. Uh, stole his birthright. Uh, you know, this Jacob is, is despised by Esau, rightly so. And so here is Jacob at the ford of the Jabbok with his lifelong grappling with Esau. And then on the other side of that ford, he comes out, he emerges as a whole new man, as this man Israel. So I want to look at those two things. Number one, here's what changes him. Number one, that, that God comes and wrestles him. You might know the song by uh, U2, Bullet the Blue Sky. Anybody heard that song? It's a great song on the album Rattle and Hum. 
Bullet the Blue Sky. There's a line in there that I, I didn't know where it came from that Bono wrote. It said, Jacob wrestled the angel and the angel was overcome. So I've, I've heard that since I was, you know, whenever that album came out, like 18. Um, I didn't know what it meant. And now it was, it's this passage. The problem is it's not an angel and Jacob didn't wrestle the angel. The angel attacks, <laughs> it's not the angel, it's, it's the angel of the Lord, it's God. And, and God attacks Jacob. So that's the first point is that God basically attacks Jacob. He, he wrestles with him. And, uh, and the second point is that he blesses Jacob. He gives him a new name. And he answers the deepest prayer of his life. So first of all, uh, God wrestling with Jacob. Uh, again, with a, with a few strokes, as Moses is wont to do, Moses is the one who wrote Genesis. He might not, he didn't write the stories, uh, but he put it down. He compiled it. He stitched it together. Uh, there were probably later editors who came along and helped him like piece it all together. After he died, it was probably edited a lot. But Moses substantially wrote the book of Genesis. And if you have questions about that, I, lo I would love to talk about that. I think there's very, very strong evidence that Moses wrote the book of Genesis. So anyway, he's a, he's a great writer. And it doesn't take him any words to paint a picture. And so in verse 22, it says, uh, Jacob's family crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He sent them across the stream and was left alone. And I, I looked at pictures of the Jabbok. It's very steep banks on either side. And... Uh, you can, you can think of at nighttime, have you ever been by a rushing stream at night? And it's kind of in the mountains. So the altitude is pretty high. It's pretty cool. And just that black water and you feel the cold kind of coming off that rushing. And then Jacob is listening to the sound of the bleeding sheep as they fade out, as they move away, as his family moves away. And I don't know what he's doing here, but he wants to be there alone because it says that Jacob is alone. He was left alone. And if you notice, he's terrified because he sends ahead uh, his, his two wives, he sends in two different parties. He sends Leah and her family, and then he sends Rachel and her family. Why did he do that? Because he didn't want them to all die. Because he was really thinking that Jacob would probably kill him. So he's at the fort of the Javik. He's terrified. And I want you to think about a meeting that you're about to have with someone, and you're terrified of that, that meeting. Um, it's one of the worst things in life, I think. When when you know there's gonna be a major confrontation coming up. I mean, imagine that being where you think it might be your brother killing you, where it's, it's that, that intimate, it's your brother, and it's that intense, where there could be violence on the line here. Um, it could be, you know, it could be your boss, it could be your wife, your, your father, your child, um, a coworker, but this is, where, uh, this is where Jacob is. It's this titanic struggle. It's the greatest struggle his whole life, his constant battle with his older brother Esau. And, uh, and that's where God has him, and he's pacing back and forth across that ford of the Javik, and that's where God just launches into him. Um, he, he, just, he, he, he attacks him. So in verse 24, it says, a man wrestled with him until the break of day. This might have been um, you know, midnight when the wrestling started, and maybe it was 6, 6 a.m., 5 a.m. when the wrestling finished, the break of day. Um, but he's just standing there, maybe pacing around, and then you can just imagine some guy just torpedoing him like a linebacker. My, uh, my, one of my, my old pastor, Hunter Dockery, when he preached on this sermon, he, he asked a guy to get up on stage. The guy got up on stage, and he just attacked him and knocked him over. <laughs> he's like, that's, that's what it's like. 
So um, he wanted to demonstrate how violent uh, this, um, this incident would have been for Jacob. Um, they're rolling around on the ground for like six hours, seemingly evenly matched, right? Jacob thinks he's making headway. They, nobody can beat the other. But then suddenly just boom, you know, he touches him. So it's a light touch on the hip, a light touch on the hip. And this is verse 25. He touched the hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint, which is such an understatement for whatever that would be like. I, I, can, I can't imagine the physical pain. I've, I've dislocated my finger in a basketball game. You know, the ball hit it and it, it still doesn't work correctly. Um, that was very, very painful, extremely painful. And when they put it back, it was even more painful. Um, this is the strongest joint, I believe, in the whole body, your hip. And this is a person touching the hip and it suddenly flies out of, it's dislocated. And uh, you can imagine there had to be a scream. That, that, is, that is not made, that is not an easy uh, uh, socket to dislodge. The muscles are twisted around it. So the ligaments, this would have been terrifying. The strongest point in his body has been crippled forever. There's no way that you're gonna replace that. You're not gonna get it back in there, especially not in their day and age. So he's, he's screaming in pain. But even more than that, I think that spiritually he was terrified because um, he's saying to himself, well, who in the world is this? What kind of man is this that I could be wrestling with him all night and that with one touch of his finger, I am crippled forever. And then I can imagine him thinking to himself, this is, this is God. And in fact, this is what I've been doing with God my whole life. I've been wrestling with God my whole life. I've been in this huge struggle that's being acted out physically by the Ford of the Javik, where I have been striving and complaining and scheming my entire life. Um, you know, like why was I second born? Why did dad love Esau more? And he did. Uh, Isaac definitely loved Esau more. This, it's this constant background noise of, uh, of fretting. You know, sometimes we don't even realize we're thinking these things, just murmuring in our brain. And he kept thinking to himself, why do I hate Esau so much? I don't even know why I started hating him when I was little. Uh, why, was I, um, why was I my mom's favorite? You know, why did, she favor, why, why did she make me her favorite? Why was I always cooking with her in the tent? And Esau was out there uh, hunting game. Why does Esau hate me? Why did I meet Laban, my terrible uncle, who ruined a lot of my life, who took away 14 years of my life or more? So why, they're just, he's just been thinking these things his whole life, wrestling with God. And you should be thinking right now, what am I wrestling? What do I grumble about? What is that murmur in my heart? Where I think if only that were fixed, then life would be okay. Because you know Jacob thought if only Esau was fixed, then, then life would be okay. What is that in your life where you just think, if this relationship were solved, um, then, then my life would be okay. Because for Jacob, that's definitely Esau. And this is where God, and he comes and he shows Jacob who he is. Because literally in the Hebrew, it says in verse 24, a man came and Jacobed him. That's the word in Hebrew. He Jacobed him. So he Jacobed Jacob. In other words, Moses is saying, um, this is who you are, Jacob. You are the, the, you are the one uh, who wrestles. You wrestle with me. You wrestle with Esau. And God is saying to him, 
Your main problem is not your boss. He's saying to you, your main problem is not your son or your wife or your brother or your dad. That's not your main problem. God's saying your main problem is your constant war with me. And, he, and God says, I am here to bless you. Because that's what you need more than anything, is for me to bless you. Especially right there in that place where you're constantly battling, where you have no peace. Look at where God takes Jacob after he breaks him. It's pretty amazing. In verse 26, uh, the man says, let me go. Which obviously he doesn't really need because he could dislocate with a finger Jacob's hip. But he says, let me go. God is, as God so often does, he, he's testing Jacob here. And Jacob says, uh, verse 26, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now think about how odd that is. This is a this is a wrestler who has just dislocated his hip, and yet Jacob is hanging on for dear life to the one who has just wounded him deeply. And that's where God has taken him. That's how much Jacob realizes he needs God. He needs God that much. That he's now clinging to the one, clinging to the one who has shattered his hip. He's clinging to that one. I can imagine Rachel looking down where the Jabbok kind of comes up on the land, she's looking down and here's Jacob like combat crawling to her. And she's like, what the heck, what happened? And Jacob's like, well, I met, I met God and I will never walk right again. And yet I, I know him now in a way I never knew him. This is what one commentary said, uh, after the maiming, M-A-I-M-I-N-G, after the maiming, Combativeness has turned into dogged dependence, and Jacob emerged broken, named, and blessed. Broken, named, and blessed. That, that is what God wants to do for all of us, to break us, to remake us, to name us, and then to bless us. So that leads to point two, that, that God blesses him. I think about how... Um, we have a dog that's very skittish, very nervous, doesn't believe still that I love him. So I was once walking the dog and the dog got off the leash uh, because he, he got so freaked out that um, you know, I tripped over something and he heard this loud sound. He, he ran uh, out of his leash, was running around the neighborhood and whenever I would come towards him, he would run away. And I finally like leapt on him and got him underneath me and grabbed him and held him down and pinned him down and would not let him go. And he could kind of feel my breath on him. I would not let, and I was pinning him down because I loved him. I wrestled him down because I loved him and I wanted to bless him. And I, I wanted him to know that I, I was gonna protect him. And that's, that's what God is doing to, to Jacob. He's getting very close to him to bless him uh, because he's blessed him before. In verse 29, it says, there he blessed him, which is, which is a huge statement. That's in many ways the key to the whole passage. He blessed him. But then you ask, well, what did he say? What, did, what does it mean to bless someone? What would it mean for me to bless you? What would it mean for you to bless me? What does that mean? Plus, twice he's already blessed him. Uh, Isaac blessed him in chapter 27, and then God directly blessed him on Jacob's ladder in chapter 28. So he's already been blessed twice, the same blessing. But the problem is he, he never really believed it. Jacob never really actually received that blessing inside of him. Never got it. Never took it in himself. And so now uh, God is right up in Jacob's face like I was with my dog. And he can actually, he, he can smell the breath of the blessing coming from God. 
because he's that close. And this is what he hears. This is what he hears from the man who wrestled him, who came right there to wrestle with him. He says, your name is no longer Jacob, the schemer, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men. And obviously he's, he's alluding to Isaac, Esau, Laban, etc., etc. You have striven your whole life and now you've finally prevailed. Now you're on the other side of that striving. So think about naming. We, um, we don't take naming nearly as seriously as the Hebrews took naming. In ancient cultures and even in other cultures today, naming is much more significant. But even with us, when we're naming a child, some of you have named a child recently or you're thinking about naming a child right now, uh, it's a very big deal. What you name that child is a very big deal. Back then, the name was thought to be like your character. It, de- it defines you, it was your character. And here, um, here God is speaking a new name. You know, a name is a series of sounds, like a barcode or a QR code. You just, a series of sounds, and that, whenever that set of sounds is spoken, that's you. You're named by that. So it's like, Benjamin Southwood Milner, you get down here right now. That's, what, that's the only time I ever heard my full name, and probably you as well, is through discipline. Benjamin Southwood Milner, you get down here right now. But that's the, first, that's the only time I would hear my whole name spelled out. You know, the whole, Cooper John Milner, I, wanna, I, wanna get you, I want to see you right now, and, uh, and I want, you know, you're in trouble. That's the only time we ever use names like that. And yet, in this case, imagine God saying your full name as, as not as condemnation, but as commendation, as benediction. Benjamin Southwood Milner, I love you so much. You stop doubting yourself right now. You start accepting my love right now with that same insistence that a parent speaks with discipline, that same authority. Jacob is blessed by God. He's named by God. For whatever reason, I thought about the scene in, in Babe where the farmer says, that'll do, pig. You know, have you ever seen that movie where the, he's got the little pig? Uh, he's so proud of his little pig, this farmer. The pig has just performed this amazing task of herding a bunch of sheep, and he, he says, that'll do, pig, and he puts his hand on his, and babe is so proud. That's the way that the, the, the name, the name, the blessing is so powerful. This figure of ultimate authority has said, you're not Jacob anymore, you're Israel. You're the God striver. It's like he's born again. You know, even if he had named him Carl, that would be something just, just to rename someone is big. But God says, no, the God striver. You know, the one who, um, who wrestles with me. And that, that's, a, that's a benediction, that's a blessing. And all of the salary, all of the titles, all of the degrees, whatever you have on your resume, all the social media likes, whatever you're looking for to make you feel significant, it, it pales in comparison to having your your name blessed like this by God, by your creator. And that's what Jacob needed. That's why he held on to him because God is drilling down into his core identity and he's filling it. He's filling it with his strength, the strength of his name. It's like he transforms Abram into Abraham. He transforms Cephas into Peter, the rock. He transforms Saul into Paul. All throughout scripture, he's renaming people. He's renaming them. It's a sign of a, it's a sign of being born again, of having new life, a new character. And then, and only then, after he renames him, what he does next is he answers 
the lifelong prayer of Jacob, but not before he changes him, not before he cripples him and names him, but then he does that. Look at Genesis 32, 11. Jacob prays to God, deliver me from Esau. I'm so afraid of him. He's going to kill us all. He's gonna kill me and my whole family. He's terrified. And I'm sure this is not the first time he's prayed that prayer. So even after being crippled and renamed, Jacob is still coming out of the Jabbok and he's got these plans to appease his brother because he still thinks his brother's gonna kill him. So he does three things, divide into two parties, as I mentioned earlier. Um, number two, shower him with gifts. So he has uh, 300 goats, 220 rams, 30 camels, 50 cows, 30 donkeys. So shower, divide into two parties, shower him with gifts. And then number three, uh, shameless flattery. So it says in verse three, he bowed to the ground seven times. So imagine bowing seven times. He calls him your servant throughout. So he thinks if I can divide up into two parties, if I can shower him with gifts, and then if I can flatter him, maybe he won't kill me. He's just prayed, deliver me from Esau. Now he's doing these things. It's like the prodigal son when the prodigal son comes back to the father and he has this speech rehearsed where he says, I'm gonna show if I can offer him enough money and show him how sorry I am, then maybe I can manufacture some peace with my dad. In fact, I think that the parable of the prodigal son might be somewhat based on this story because a lot of the language, if you know that parable, a lot of the language is similar. And to some extent, the context is similar. But anyway, Jacob is coming, scheming again, back to his old identity a little bit, you know, making these plans to appease his brother. And God's like, that's not your life anymore. That's not how you're going to live anymore, Jacob, because you're Israel now. And so in verse four, God just blows him away because while Jacob is still rehearsing that speech to appease his brother, it says in verse four, Esau ran to him. And as he was running to him, Jacob's like, oh my, he probably turned around and was about to run the other direction. And then Esau runs up and hugs him and hugs him. He embraces him and then he fell on his neck. So that's more than embracing. Um, I don't know exactly what falling on the neck means, but I think that if I were to do that to you right now, it would not be entirely comfortable. It's very intimate. He fell on his neck. They probably had their, you know, their necks and they were just like complete embrace, like long, long embrace. And then it says he kissed him, he kissed his cheek, and then they wept. A lot of the same language as the father and the prodigal son story. He ran, embraced him, fell on his neck, kissed him, wept. So Esau's heart has been filled with love somehow. In answer to these prayers, his heart is filled with love. He is so full of love, he can't even figure out what Jacob's doing. You know, he's like, why are these 630 animals here? He says in verse eight, what do you mean by this company of animals? You know, what are you doing? And Jacob says in verse eight, to find favor in your sight, my Lord. And then Esau laughs, just like Santa Claus laughing, you know. In verse nine, I have enough, my brother. I have enough. What are you doing? You're my brother. Keep it for yourself. Are you kidding me? And they hug and, and Jacob's greatest fear has now become his deepest consolation. What was his greatest fear has become his deepest consolation and God has answered that prayer. And maybe he's done that for you. Maybe he will do that for you. That prayer, that one thing you want solved, God answers that here, but not before he cripples him and blesses him. Jacob actually asked to see God's face earlier. I didn't read that part, but he did. He asked God basically if he could see his face. That's what all that stuff about the daylight is and the darkness, the sun's coming up. 
He asks to see God's face and look in verse 18. Now he sees it. Jacob says, seeing you is like seeing the face of God because the reconciliation is so powerful. It's, it's as if he is seeing God in that moment of reconciliation. Uh, Les Mis, you might know Les Mis, Les Miserables, Victor Hugo's book. Um, that line, last song in the, in the play, uh, in the musical, you know that line where, where Jean Valjean says, to love another person is to see the face of God. To love another person is to see the face of God. And perhaps uh, Victor Hugo got it from this passage right here. Seeing your face, seeing your countenance, your smile, Esau. It's like, it's like I'm seeing the face of God. Because now every single crooked step that Jacob takes, and he, he did find some kind of, it says later on he had some kind of uh, pole that he would use as he limped along. So he found how, how to not crawl. But every single crooked step he takes, he thinks about that wrestler at the fort of the Jabbok. And he thinks to himself, he could have crushed me at any moment. He could, have, he could have destroyed me. And he restrained himself so long, so many, so many years. He, he was so gentle with me. And that's what I love about the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God could have come as Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan, some powerful emperor. He could have come with infinite might and power. And he could have caused everybody to bow down before him and just taken over the planet through his strength, his angels. But that's not how he came. The Bible says when God came to planet Earth, he came with infinite restraint. The same restraint that that wrestler used for six hours while he let Jacob wrestle with him. He could have come and crushed us and said, bow to me right now and, and worship me or else I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to annihilate you. That's not what he does. He comes in humility. He says he was, he was gentle and lowly of heart. The only time he ever describes his heart, gentle and lowly. And when I look at this table and I think about the reconciliation, we see the face of God. We see the face of a God who comes running to us and, and embraces us and weeps over us and laughs with us and says, what are you thinking about with all your good works? Forget about it. I love you. You don't need to do anything to earn my favor. And that's what we celebrate at this meal, that on the night that our Lord was betrayed, 